Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth Podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Rachel Myers. And I'm your other host, Amanda Bible Williams. And this is week two of our Lent series. We are reading through the book of Ezekiel. The study is called Come to Life. And we are thrilled to be joined once again by our friend, Lydia Brownback. Lydia, you may remember her from when we read Esther last year. She is a Bible teacher. She has a wonderful Bible study series with Crossway called Flourish. And Lydia is just a woman who digs deep into God's Word and is really great at connecting the dots to help us see the whole picture of Scripture and the capital S story of the Bible. So I think you guys are going to really love this conversation. We know that Ezekiel is a tough read, and I just encourage you to stick with us because there is so much hope if we look for it. So let's get right to this episode with Lydia. Lydia, welcome back to the She Reads Truth podcast. I am delighted to be back here with you. As you pointed out to me, it's been a year since we had our last conversation, and so I've been anticipating this, our second one. Yes, we're so thankful that you said yes again, Um, even this time knowing what you're getting into. Last time, you may not have known. (laughs) And so we're so glad to have you back. We talked about Esther last time. Yes. And this time around, we're still in the Old Testament, or we're back in the Old Testament, yeah. and we're in Ezekiel. How do you we're feel about that? We're actually earlier in time from <laughs> Esther's story, right? Yeah. Because that was that was after all these things in Ezekiel had taken place. Mm-hmm. So we're backing up a little bit in Israel's history yep. and looking at a really dark time. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. So you, Lydia are the author of the Flourish Bible Study series, right? In this series with yes. Crossway. And so there are multiple books of the Bible that you have written studies on. And and I saw um, on one of those resources that one of the goals of that series is to kind of highlight and celebrate the full story of Scripture, right? To invite readers into the unifying story of Scripture. And so one comes to a book like Ezekiel that is a difficult read. Like it's not something you pick up necessarily and turn to on a whim like we might one of Paul's letters, for example. <laughs> right, exactly. So like how does it fit in, in your eyes? Like how does it fit in that unifying story of Scripture that you like to celebrate in, that, in the Flourish series? Wow, that's a great question. And I think I think you have to read the whole book in order to fully comprehend that. Um, so it, it fits in in that it points out our absolute, I mean, our human beings' utter depravity mm. and how it, it points out the vileness of sin. And in light of that, in contrast to that, is the holiness of God. Mm-hmm. And if it's not for the Lord's work, remaking our hearts, for one, we'll never be able to see His holiness in our own sin. Mm-hmm. And then it is that we have to recognize, once we see that sin, that we cannot fix it ourselves, and there has yeah. to be a Savior. It points us, Ezekiel points us to our utter need of a Savior. Yeah. So, you know, I think the overarching storyline of the Bible takes us to that. It's all all going there. And Ezekiel amazingly does that. And you think, for the first time, like when, when someone picks up Ezekiel for the first time in today's culture, and you start out with this, with his vision, you think, is this guy crazy? You know, is he on drugs? I mean, that's how people would think today. It is trippy. About Ezekiel, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, so, so the first time I read the book of Ezekiel years ago, I got a pastoral commentary to help me understand it. And I'm glad I did because I learned some things about the history and about mm-hmm. what underlies the visions and how prophecy worked back then to point me more clearly to what the Lord was communicating here. Yeah. So, so Ezekiel is, uh, it's a powerful book, your beautiful guide with the attending scriptures you've brought along with it is going to be so helpful. I'm sure it's so helpful to your listeners. Good. Thank you. We, well, as you know, we are reading the book of Ezekiel for the season of Lent. This mm-hmm. is yes. our 2022 Lent study for She Reads Truth and He Reads Truth. And so the, the title of the study is Come to Life. And that's the message of Ezekiel. Like you wouldn't tell a non-dead thing to come to life. And so I think Ezekiel, it's showing that what you just said, that we're dead in our sin, just like mm-hmm. we read in the New Testament. Like we're dead in our sin and Christ died so that we might live. And so there is, you know, there is so much of just a picture of the offensiveness of our sin and we get to see that through Israel but it's us right like this is this is who we are too we get to see that but there's always even in the pointing out the sin and the declaration of judgment this is all part of God's pursuit of his people his loving and compassionate and holy and merciful pursuit of his people that he is going to take away their heart of stone, like our key verse says, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and give us a heart of flesh. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that just knock us down? That, it, that, <laughs> it, it that this does. holy God would come after such sinful, depraved people and mm-hmm. pursue us. It just knocks us down. It should knock us down. Yeah, yeah. Friends, if you missed last week's episode, you're going to want, after this one, you're going to want to go back, and I still mm-hmm. think you'll pick up some really helpful things. But we talk about Lent. Or even this pause season. this one, go back and listen to the first, and then come back here. I, I mean, may you even can be do that if you promise to come back. If you promise to come back. I like what Lydia said. If you're going to read the book of Ezekiel, you have to read the whole book. There is a true like an arc to it mm-hmm. and there's a structure to it and mm-hmm. it's a tough one to just jump in the middle of and then jump back out and go yeah i, I get it what was going on there yeah mm-hmm. and so yeah i do encourage you if you are jumping in to make sure you know if you can to read the whole book yeah mm-hmm. well and just as a reminder so ezekiel the kind of the rough structure of ezekiel is you could you could divide it into about three parts. So there's the judgment against Israel, and these are just really like broad yeah. categories, right? Judgment against Israel, then there's judgment against the nations, yeah. and then there is the the promise of restoration mm-hmm. and hope for Israel's restoration. And so we, in these first few weeks, are planted pretty firmly in that first section mm-hmm. of um, the judgment against Israel. <laughs> and so we are going to see we're going to see a lot of darkness. We're going to see a lot of God's glory. You know, we mm-hmm. started the book starts with what you said that that crazy vision that Ezekiel has of God's glory and it becomes really clear juxtaposed with his glory, the the lack of <laughs> holiness um, in his yeah. people. And so that's why we're reading this book for Lent. When we before we hit record, Lydia, you expressed a little bit of wow, <laughs> what a choice <laughs> for uh, to read Ezekiel. 
And it's, you know, it's purposeful. We believe that this is part of the story of the Bible. And the story of the Bible is ultimately the story of the gospel, the good news. Right? So even the bad news is part of getting to the good. Let's get reading. We're starting this week on day eight. Mm -hmm. As y'all know, these podcast episodes release at the start of the week. So we're going to be talking about all the things that y'all will be reading as women in the Word of God every day this week. So Mm -hmm. we're starting on day eight in Ezekiel chapter eight. And this kind of sets the stage. It's a year and a half later. Lydia, verse one, would you read that for us? Yes. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, I was sitting in my house, and the elders of Judah were sitting in front of me, and there the hand of the Lord God came down on me. So, I mean, he is with the leaders of Judah. So, he's sitting there with very important VIPs, right? And listen to what happens. This is in verse verse 3. Then the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and carried me in visions of God to Jerusalem. So this this vision that he's having takes him home to Jerusalem. It says, To the entrance of the inner gate that faces north, where the offensive statue that provokes jealousy was located. So they've put up these idols, these actual statues. I saw the glory of the God of Israel there, like the vision I had seen in the plain. So now he has this vision of the glory of God in Jerusalem at the temple, and he recognizes this is the glory of God that he saw Mm -hmm. in the vision that he had in Babylon Yes, in chapter 1. And it continues to go on where, where the Lord shows him just really offensive things that are now taking place, not just in Jerusalem, but in the temple. Mm-hmm. They profaned the temple of the Lord. It's interesting, the language that's used here, we're seeing offensive, we're seeing detestable, abhorrent. Mm-hmm. Like it's before we get to the things that feel a little detestable to us, mm-hmm. this is God saying, let me show you what is detestable or abhorrent mm-hmm. to me. Good point. Yeah, yeah. Rachel, and then I actually I think I I noticed in verse ten, um, and this was really interesting to me. It says I went in and looked, and there engraved all around the wall was every kind of abhorrent thing. And so our minds start racing, like what could he have seen, right? Mm-hmm. But listen to what he saw: crawling creatures and beasts, as well as all the idols of the house of Israel. This is the thing that he saw: seventy elders from the house of Israel were standing before them, with Jazaniah the son of Shapam standing among them. Each had a fire pan in his hand, and a fragrant cloud of incense was rising up. He said to me, "Son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the darkness, each at a shrine of his idol? For they are saying, the Lord does not see us. Mm. The Lord has abandoned this land." And again, he said to me, "You will see even more detestable acts." that they are committing. What he saw is the elders of the house of Israel worshiping other gods, and that is the thing that is the most detestable to him. It was so detestable. And the mm-hmm. fact that they were doing that in the temple where where this was the place in the Old Testament where God right. set his presence. That's right. So this is where he chose to meet with his people. And mm-hmm. so they're doing that right in his face, and yet they're saying God doesn't see God yeah. doesn't see. And so they'd grown so cynical and so bitter. Right. And so this is the blinding effect of sin already. They're worshiping idols, which were further blinding them, mm-hmm. not just to their own sin, but to the presence of God. 
Yes. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And I can't help but, you know, make the connection to to Lent and like what we are seeking to do is spending time in God's word and intentionally focusing on the cross. And to understand the cross, we have to understand why the cross is necessary and, right. uh, you know, in our, in our sin. And the, it's what you just said, mm-hmm. Lydia, that our sin blinds us to further sin. And so the headline here is not, ugh, what, you know, these elders, they, I would have known better. No, no, mm-hmm. they are humans with deceptive hearts, <laughs> and, and they, they have been deceived, and they are worshiping other gods. This is the very thing that we are prone to. You know, the hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And the thing is, is when, until we're in glory, we're all going to be prone to wander. And so that's one of the reasons that the season of Lent is so poignant, because how rarely do we set aside such a length of time to be still and focused on the crux of the gospel, just the the centerpiece of the gospel, the cross. And so I, I just, I read this and I think this is why it's necessary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is why. So, you know, if you think about the fact that they're doing this in the temple where God's presence was, and when we do this, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So we yeah. have God's presence in us. And yet we still are prone to the cynicism that says, God doesn't hear. God isn't there. He's not fixing my life the way I want. He's not. And because of that, I'm going to supplement my worship with him by turning to this for comfort or that for pleasure or going my own way a little bit. And we can do that and become callous to it and not even recognize that we're sort of dissing God in his face. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Man, I really appreciate you bringing that to where is the presence of God now where he indwells in us. And for you to say, yeah, we can point and go, they, how, how dare they supplement God or reject God in His yeah. presence? But, but you're right. Thank you for that, Lydia. I appreciate yeah. that insight. As we keep reading and in today's reading, I mean, there's more of the same. You know, the, just the vision continues to unfold and and unveil. You know, even more detestable acts than this, as it says, mm-hmm. and it leads us mm-hmm. to to chapter nine, which is just horrific. And it is a vision. In in Ezekiel's vision in Jerusalem, God sends angelic executioners to destroy the people in the land. I mean, it's the the most awful thing you can can conjure for them. And and again, because of what you just said, like sin always brings death. Mm -hmm. Like this is this is what sin does. What do you see, Lydia, when you read that passage? Mm-hmm. Uh, Ezekiel 9. Uh, yeah. One of the things yeah. I, I actually noticed, the thing I highlighted the most here, is I noticed the note of hope, because it's true. This is a terrible thing happening. These mm-hmm. people feel that they're safe, and, well, mm-hmm. we're still in Jerusalem. We're safe. And the other, you know, the other people are in exile. Too That's bad right. for them. Yeah. We're here where God's presence is, so we're safe. And, and oh, that's so not true. And uh, they're, not, they're not seeing it. And so, but there's this note of hope. Um, and yes. it starts, you know, in, in verse, in verse three, then the glory of the Lord, then the glory of the God of Israel rose from above the cherub where it had been to the threshold of the temple. He called to the man clothed in linen and carrying writing equipment Pass throughout the city of Jerusalem. The Lord said to him and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the detestable practices committed mm-hmm. in it. 
So the mark was meant to, to separate them out, yeah. this remnant, these people who were, who were grieved over the sin. And so there's this note of hope. And it's almost like at this point, what Ezekiel is seeing, we, we need something that's going to lift us out of the mire yeah. even a little bit because we're so knocked down by all this. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yes. it has a. I can't help but catch a little bit of a Passover vibe here. Uh, yes. Good. That's great. I mean, it says in verse eight, while they were killing, I was left alone, and I fell face down and cried out, "Oh Lord God, are mm. you going to destroy the entire remnant of Israel when you pour out your wrath on Jerusalem?" And he answered me, "The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is extremely great." The land is full of bloodshed and the city full of perversity. For they say the Lord has abandoned the land. He does not see. But as for me, I will not show pity or spare them. I will bring their conduct down on their own heads. It's, uh, it feels very much like Passover. In the case of Passover, the blood of the lamb is the, the covering for the homes and the protection mm-hmm. for, of the oldest sons. The mark and, on the door, right. And the mark mm-hmm. on the door, yes. And, um, and in this, it's a, it's a mark on their forehead. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. I love that connection, Rachel. That's great, and that's true. And it's it's true. I mean, there's there's a faithful remnant even now. So mm-hmm. this is this is pointing to, you know, if that were just it. Oh, there's a few people who haven't done this. End of story. Kind of great for them, but what about everybody right. else? It, you know, it's what this remnant points to, yeah. and that's where we're going with with the story. Yeah. yeah. And I love what you said when I asked you, you know, Lydia, when you look at this chapter, like, what do you see? And I expected a very different answer, but your answer was, I see hope. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that so much mm-hmm. because you've pointed us to the hope in a dark, 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 but important passage. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We need it right now, don't we? I mean, this is otherwise yeah. a really dark section. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it really is because you get a picture of, you know, in, in this this vision of Ezekiel this is what justice would look like apart from Christ, mm-hmm. apart from God's mercy. Mm-hmm. And, yes. um, and so it, it is devastating and dark. And so I love that we can connect that to the thread of hope. And as, as those who have the privilege of having both testaments of Scripture, mm-hmm. <laughs> we, know, mm-hmm. we know the Savior's name is Jesus, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and He has already come and secured that hope for us. And we could look at a passage like Ezekiel chapter 9, and on one hand see, this is a passage about death, mm-hmm. but instead we can look at it and go, like, this is actually a passage about saving. Mm-hmm. So many, like, the, there were people that were saved. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And it does. It's hard to say whether it gets darker or lighter. Here we go to chapter (laughs) ten. Well, you know, in chapter ten, something really significant happens. Yeah, where God's glory leaves the temple. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so heartbreaking. Yeah, it It really is. That's exactly the word that I wrote down. That this is heartbreaking. Tell us why. Why is this so significant? you see, as in the vision, you see the God's glory leaving the temple. It's sort of it, he goes slowly, like he's reluctant mm-hmm. to leave, yeah. and it, it's almost I like agree. giving the last chance, every last hope for repentance, every last like I don't mm-hmm. really want to leave you, but you've left me. Are you sure? Are you sure? And I mean, we know God doesn't say, "Are you sure?" But like, it's this right. sort of this sort of slowness to leave because he loves, you know, he loves his people. And so it's like it's like finally an unfaithful spouse 
who has waited for the straying one to come back and, and repent and recognize, I love you. I want to be with you. I want to stop cheating on you. And then finally, there comes a point where that spouse gives up and, and you sort of picture slowly leaving, not really wanting to go, but needing mm-hmm. to go because it's an affront and it's time, judge time for judge time to say enough. And so to see that they basically, they've put their fist in God's face for so long Mm. that, that he, and he's, he's waited for their repentance and their judgment has become right. I mean, if they're ripe for judgment and it doesn't please God's heart to do that to him. And I think the slowness of his leaving the temple sort of bit by bit, sort of going up and out was his way. Like he could have, in disgust, he could have just raced out of there. But mm-hmm. no, I, I just think there's the reason this is heartbreaking is that there's a slow exit and it's, yeah. it's showing us the, the grief of God. And I think the reluctance of God to go. Let's read some of that. Lydia, would you read um, from Ezekiel 10 verses three through five? And then I think maybe Amanda, if you want to take 18 through 22. Okay. Ezekiel 10, three to five. Now the cherubim were standing to the south of the temple when the man went in, and the cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherub to the threshold of the temple. The temple was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the Lord's glory. The sound of the cherubim's wings could be heard as far as the outer court. It was like the voice of God Almighty when He speaks. Fast forward a bit to verse 18. It says, Then the glory of the Lord moved away from the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. The cherubim lifted their wings and descended from the earth right before my eyes. The wheels were beside them as they went. The glory of the God of Israel was above them, and it stopped at the entrance to the eastern (laughs) gate of the Lord's house. These were the living creatures I had seen beneath the God of Israel by the Chabar Canal. And I, is it Cheber? You got, I, just with confidence. Read it what with confidence. You, what do you say there? I would say Chabar. Chabar, that's, that's what it is. I knew I wasn't getting yeah. Okay, sorry. Back it up. I could These, be wrong. but mm-hmm. Well, you know what? That sounds great. Mm-hmm. I, that's what I think that's correct. That sounds right. These were the living creatures I had seen beneath the God of Israel by the Chabar Canal, and I recognized that they were cherubim. Each had four faces, and each had four wings, with what? looked something like human hands under their wings. Their faces looked like the same faces I had seen by the Chabar Canal. Each creature went straight ahead. And this this image of wheels, it's like a like a glory of God on the move, like his presence. Mm-hmm. And we have we actually have an extra in the study book. Extra is what we call just these these tools like charts and um, study tools. Study tools that we put in the study book to just help connect the dots with the rest of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And on page 180 in our She Read Truth um, study book for Lent, there is a an extra called the Temple and Scripture. And so it talks about, you know, God's presence, like it was in the Garden of Eden, it was in the tabernacle, and then here in the first temple. Mm-hmm. And we know, because we've read the story, that this temple will be destroyed. Yeah. Um, and then there will be a second temple. And then there's Jesus mm-hmm. <laughs> and God's presence in, in Jesus, God incarnate. And then us, the church, yeah. as you just pointed out, Lydia, like God's presence, God's spirit dwells in us. Mm-hmm. We are the temple. Do you not know that you yourselves are the temple? Yeah. And then 
revelation <laughs> in the holy city where we won't need a lamp or a light because yeah. the presence of God will be the light. So th- that's another good moment of just like backing up or going to 30,000 feet to see God's presence is leaving the temple. This is part of a bigger story. Yeah. I, th- I think about your Flourish Bible Study series, Lydia, and where you're kind of helping us see the unifying story of Scripture. And this feels like a very historically significant moment. How is how is that so? Uh, very much so. I think your chart here, or this helps, as you call it on page 180, the temple and Scripture, and how you you do indicate the different manifestations of that throughout the storyline of the Bible from from the beginning of Genesis in the Garden of Eden where God's presence was to the tabernacle and then the temple and then the coming of Jesus, the church, and then finally in in glory, we're going to see the temple, we're all dwelling with God. And uh, so, you know, and I can't help but think about where when Jesus was crucified, how the curtain in the temple that separated the holy place, the most holy place from the other parts was ripped in two. And that 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 yeah. old curtain that used to be in there would separate a holy God from unholy people, and only the high priest could go in once a year on the Day of Atonement to make sacrifices. So when Jesus was crucified, that ripped, signifying the end of the separation between That's God right. and man because of sin, and meaning that he, yeah, he had completely paid for it. So the temple and its components are so symbolic, so significant. This page 180. I, I really hope that your readers and listeners will go to that this week because it does help us understand what we're seeing in Ezekiel 10 and 11 about what the significance of this is, um, the glory of God. And you also hear, you cite back during this week, you cite Exodus chapter yeah. 40, verses 34 and 35, which kind of gives us a picture of what the glory of the Lord is. You talk about the wheels and all of this. It's very hard for human beings to comprehend the glory of God. You know, you think Moses had to turn away. You can only see mm-hmm. the back of God. You know, he, he can't really be seen. So, you know, what Ezekiel sees is, is something that humans can comprehend, but it's not, God's glory isn't a set of wheels, you know. So, right. That's right. I love what you, this verse here uh, from Exodus, the cloud covered the tent of meeting, which was that, the temple at that time, back in the the wilderness days, the tabernacle, the cloud covered the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled it. Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's this amazing thing that God delighted to give to communicate his presence to his people. And so that's what's so tragic about Ezekiel 10 and 11. God is saying, I'm not rejecting you. You've rejected me so long that I'm leaving now. That is the judgment of sin. People are so worried about the consequences of some earthly consequence of sin. Instead of recognizing the greatest tragedy that could befall them is if God takes his presence away. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I'm giving you you what you want Mm -hmm. and I'm going now. Yeah, isn't that what they say about hell? It's like someday, um, you know, people are all worried about not having what they want. If they, you know, they they cling to their sin because they think it makes them happy, and they say, "Well, God's for later, or God's for another time," and or they they try to say, "No, God, I won't give up whatever this is." And eventually, if they if people don't repent, he says, "And have it your way," mm-hmm. and that is judgment, and that's what hell is. That's what people in hell is. Okay have whatever, this is what you wanted, have it your way. The absence of the say, presence of God. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what's so scary. Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, even though this week is a lot of that, like we are still, like if you're looking at the three kind of sections of Ezekiel, we are still in the judgment against Israel section. But we do get in the end of, in chapter 11, the end of chapter 11, we get a pretty solid injection of hope here <laughs> yes. that, um, that we don't have to hunt very hard for, right? So That's let's, I, Okay, let's read some of this. Ezekiel 11, let's start in verse 16. Therefore say, this is what the Lord God says. Though I sent them far away among the nations and scattered them among the countries, yet for a little while I have been a sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, this is what the Lord God says. I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you from the countries where you've been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. When they arrive there, they will remove all its abhorrent acts and detestable practices from it. I will give them integrity of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove their heart of stone from their bodies and give them a heart of flesh so that they will follow my statutes, keep my ordinances, and practice them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. Mm -hmm. Man, I love here seeing I will remove and I will give. It's not they'll slice it out and they'll Mm -hmm. replace it. It is is God enabling Mm -hmm the people to respond. And I think like, which is so kind. I just think like, I can't, I can't carve out my heart of stone. I can't do it. I don't know how, I don't know where to begin. And I would certainly do it wrong. And I think like, that's when I'm talking to my kids about, you know, behavior training, things like, Hey, let's not, let's not, let's, (laughs) it's, uh, it's so much of followed by, you know, you can't do this alone. You know, you need the spirit to help you do or not do. <laughs> it's a more, less training of behavior, more training of the heart. And so, yeah. so often, even with my kids, even with myself, it's just going like, spirit, I need you to do this in me because mm-hmm. I can't, I can't remove or add to my heart. I think, I think anytime that um, any one of us tries to fight a besetting sin, and we all have our areas where we fall into a repetitive sin, maybe, yeah. you know, two steps forward, one back. And, and I think some of those we're going to battle all of our lives and others we will get a handle on and, and by God's grace, conquer them. But it's those sins, those that we can't, you know, and we tell ourselves, I should be able to kill this sin. I should be able to do this. I should be able to, you know, and, and after all, I mean, well, so, well, I think unbelievers will say, I should be able to do whatever I want to do. Even like, I, I think even as Christians, we fall back on the, well, I should be able to. Right, And so is it our pride that doesn't like that we can't? And I I think sometimes (laughs) it is, but I think other times it's that we feel that once we, we are indwelt by the spirit and we have, we have the Lord. And and this is true. We do have, I mean, we're told in Peter's epistles that, that we have all things pertaining to life and godliness by you. We are indwelt by the spirit. Therefore we are able to put to death the misdeeds of our flesh. That's right. And yet we struggle with besetting sins. Why is that? And I think sometimes the Lord will allow us to battle a sin repetitively because it drives us back to this, that we can't do it. And and so mm-hmm. Jesus, we, we're going to get to this passage, uh, you know, apart from me, you can do nothing. And, that's, and right. that's what we see here. We have got to have this given to us by God. It's not just that we need a little help. We are absolutely, utterly helpless yeah. unless he enables us to do it. And he has enabled us. But sometimes we need a reminder, you know, uh, no, I can't get on top of this by myself. And it drives us back to our utter dependence on him. And I think as we're we're dealing right now with thinking about 
the horror of sin uh, at this Lent time, mm-hmm. um, in this Lenten season, and we can we can it's a reminder of our utter dependence yeah. on God's grace, His equipping and softening of our heart to enable us to even pray, to even think about Lent, mm-hmm. to even care about the cross and the resurrection, and that's, it, right. it, that's everything is given to us. Yeah, it's all grace, Ann Voskamp says. You know? <laughs> yeah. And it is. We need that injection of hope, and the people needed it, because right after, and I don't know if it's right after, well, it seems like it, God's glory doesn't just leave the temple. God's glory leaves Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he says here through Ezekiel, I will give you the land of Israel. Like, my promise still holds, but then... You know, the glory of the Lord rose up from within the city and stopped on the mountain east of the city. Mm. And it is. It is a it is a slow but sure exit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then moving, turning the page to Ezekiel chapter 12, another sign act. Y'all, y'all listening. Remind us what that is, Rachel. I mean, also, I, you hear it and you're like, what's a sign act? S-I-G-N-A-C-T. I feel like it sounds so weird. But it is, like we said, street theater. Like it is Ezekiel acting out um, the Lord's judgment. And in this case, he's acting out um, the exile. Um, yep. But what I what I see repeatedly, we saw this in chapter eleven, and we're yep. seeing it in chapter twelve. We saw it last week this like drumbeat of <laughs> then they will know that I am the Lord. Then they will know that I am the Lord. This is not just to be wacky. This <laughs> is not just to get your attention for one reason or another. It is that you would know. Mm-hmm that I am the Lord. And I appreciate so much. We talked in our last series, our, we, we recently did a series called Do Not Fear, A Biblical Response to God's Faithfulness. So it's not like, don't fear, shame on you, do better. It's do not fear because of who God is. And and so often when he says do not fear in Scripture, we we get a an immediate because why, right? Mm-hmm. And in this case... For I am with you. For I am with you. Things you like know, that, yeah. For I am your shield. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so here we, we get another, here's why. It's not just mm-hmm. pointless. The, like God is so intentional that you will know that I am the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's his mercy even in his judgments. But the very fact that he's prophesying and letting them know this is what's going to happen and mm-hmm. this is why and this is my intention. He didn't have to tell them that. Right. Yeah. But he's doing that here. And you know, and I think so we see evidence of mercy in this yeah. that you may know, that you may know. I love that. And I think it makes, takes me back to what Moses told the Israelites in Deuteronomy when he's looking back over the time in the wilderness. And, uh, you know, and he said, you know, the whole time you were here, you know, God took care of your need. And yet he, he humbled you. He allowed you to hunger and he took you through these hard things in order that yeah. you might know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes in the mouth of the Lord. So it's that you may know that you may know. So right. that is true of our hardships, mm-hmm. of the difficulties of the Lord's discipline in our lives. It's always so that we may know mm-hmm. what's so, I think like, You look at their response to this, though, down in verse 21. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, what is this proverb you people have about the land of Israel, which goes, the days keep passing by and every vision fails? Then therefore say to them, this is what the Lord God says, I will put a stop to this proverb and they will not use it again in Israel. But say to them, the days have arrived as well as the fulfillment of every vision. 
And what they they kept saying, mm. you know, every vision fails, every vision fails, because there were this was the cynicism that had come out. So the Lord mm. is is yeah. everything He's done is so that they may know, but they've refused mm. to see, and so they've blinded themselves and said, "God's not here. Where's God? What does He do for us?" Mm-hmm. And this is where God's saying, "Those days are over now," even though His heart, His intention has been that they may know, that they may know. Yeah, and so you see both things going on at once, and this is his reluctance to judge, and yet he is who he is. He's mm-hmm. a holy God, and boy, we need this mercy. We need the yes. mercy that's held out. We want to know. We want to know, and that's another great thing to think about, isn't it? During this Lenten season, that yeah, you know, Lord, give me eyes to see where I may have been blind this year, last month, this week. <laughs> give me, yeah. give me new eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and likewise, when we turn the page to chapter 13, we have him saying no more to the false prophets who are the prophesying really optimistic things. <laughs> you know, you, this is where we get that, the verse that I the think. The things is, that the itching ears want to hear. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like verse 10, they've led my people astray by saying peace where there is no peace. Mm-hmm. And I read the message version of mm-hmm. this chapter because it was it's an int- like all of these things are intense. A little and, bit, a little yeah, bit. But mm-hmm. I appreciate it actually kind of hearing it that way because it was like they're going around saying everything's fine, everything's fine. Everything is not fine. Is that how it's worded? Yes, like, yes. Everything is, I, can everything we all, is, I yeah. think we can all agree. Everything is not fine. Everything is not fine. And that's I mean like headline of uh like Ezekiel like everything is everything not is fine. Not fine. <laughs> And that's why we titled the book, Come to Life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's beautiful, right? It's, it's sort of everything's fine. I like that uh, the way of, that it does put it succinctly. Everything's fine. It's, it's um, sometimes we hear it'll all work out. It'll all work out. That's right. another way we say the same thing. And, and you have these self-appointed spiritual leaders here mm-hmm. who are, you know, leading people to believe the wrong thing. And it comforted them to believe this false teaching. And sure. that is what their blind cynicism had led them to, the itching ears. They wanted to hear this. It soothed them so they could say, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. I love, actually, the beginning of this chapter. Um, it just, they, I mean, the Lord minces no words in calling these these out. And it's exactly what you said, Lydia, that they have appointed themselves, right? So listen to this, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying. <laughs> Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Hear the word of the Lord, exclamation point. <laughs> this is what the Lord God says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets, Israel, are like jackals among ruins. You did not go to the gaps or restore the wall around the house of Israel so that it might stand in battle on the day of the Lord. They saw false visions, and their divinations were a lie. They claimed, this is the Lord's declaration, when the Lord did not send them. Yet they wait for the fulfillment of their message. Yeah, let me listen to that. (laughs) They claimed, this is the Lord's declaration, when the Lord did not send them. Yet they wait for the fulfillment uh, of their message. And so Why then going back happening? to what you said, Lydia, like this proverb of like, <clears throat> what God says won't, doesn't ever happen. Well, that's because of these false prophets. Oh, God didn't yeah. say that. Yeah. <laughs> but also we look, I mean, we just spent 
all of, like, oh, not all of last week, but we spent a lot of time mm-hmm. last week talking about Ezekiel's call that mm-hmm. first, that initiated first with a vision of the holiness of God. Yep. Then there was the presence of the Spirit and the filling of the Word before the call took place. You know, and then the contrast that we get here is just this, like, we've called ourselves out of our, and we prophesy out of our own imagination, mm-hmm. and there is no word from the Lord. It's, it's easy to want to hear from a false prophet because they're going to say everything's fine. They're going to tell you what you want to hear. But it's also not so hard maybe necessarily to sniff out a false prophet if you look at, are they anchored in the Spirit? Are they anchored in the Word? Are they pointed right. to the holiness they of God? proclaim Christ. And it's just like, That's right. they, the, the whole counsel of God. I mean, are they showing God as yeah. who He really is? Or You know, you see all these people today, especially Twitter wars, and where, where people have different interpretations of God, and they're, they, they pit Jesus against Paul, and they say, oh, you need to read less Paul and more Jesus. I'm like, no, you know what? What Paul said is Jesus. You know I mean? Like, yes. that is Jesus speaking. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they make these false dichotomies, and they, you know, today they're saying, this God, if you just love everybody, mm-hmm. then you're pleasing God. They, they remake a God that's more palatable to them. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I think they were doing in this day. And trying to present a God that that comforted people, that sounded nice to them, that made cultural sense to them, mm-hmm. but yep. was not the true God. And yes. we see starkly here, and they talk about the whitewashing. Yes. Of, you know, and the, like whitewashing the reality. And that's, I think, a, a very good word for our day. That's right. Yeah, I want to read that. That From verse 10, Amanda started reading it. It said, Since they have led my people astray, saying, Peace, when there is no peace, and since with a flimsy wall is being built, they plaster it with whitewash. Therefore, tell those plastering it with whitewash that it will fall. Torrential rain will mm-hmm. come, and I will send hailstones plunging down, and a whirlwind will be released. When the wall has fallen, will you not ask, where's the whitewash you plastered on it? And then that's part of how idols are created. It's, it's setting up a God of our own imagination. That's good, yeah. And to where, and I even here, the, 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 some of these spiritual self-appointed spiritual leaders are women who are using magic. Yes. People were actually being reduced to wanting to hear magic about their lives. Yeah. And, well, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what struck me in that where it's there toward the end of chapter 13 where it's talking about the women who sew magic bands on the wrist of every hand and who make veils for the heads of people of every size in order to ensnare lives there is a jealousy that god has for his people it's like a yeah. it's like a mama bear mm-hmm. instinct you know for for his people where verse 20 Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. I'm against your magic bands with which you ensnare people like birds, and I will tear them from your arms. And listen to this. I will free the people you have ensnared like birds. I will also tear off your veils and rescue my people from your hands so that they will no longer be prey in your hands. Then you will know that I am the Lord because you have disheartened the righteous person with lies. When I intended no distress, listen to that parenthetical, Mm, so interesting. And because you have supported the wicked person so that he does not turn from his evil way to save his life, therefore, you will no longer see false visions or practice divination. I will rescue my people from your hands. Mm. Then you will know that I'm the Lord. Like he is, God means business with this. And, And he is going to... Keep that remnant, yeah. and he is going to gather his people. 
I, I heard that. Yeah. Then they will know I am the Lord again. A couple times. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> and so, and can I, is it okay if I jump like right from what you just said right into chapter 14 here? Yes, go for um, it. Where in verses 1 to 3, some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down in front of me. Then the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and have put their sinful stumbling blocks in front of themselves. Should I let them inquire of me? And then he goes on, therefore speak to them and tell them, this is what the Lord God says. When anyone from the house of Israel sets up idols in his heart and puts his sinful stumbling block in front of himself and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him appropriately. I will answer him according to his many idols so that I may take hold of the house of Israel by their hearts. They are all estranged from me because of their idols. Now, I think there's a note of hope here. And what Mm -hmm. he's saying is, look, this is what people have... His own people, God's people, had set up their idols in their hearts. So he's saying, who's done it? They've set up idols in their own hearts. And what God is saying, when they cry to me, so see, even idolaters can turn to God, because at some level, their idols are never going to work. And they're, I mean, not for any length of time. Their idols yeah. are going to fail them. They'll turn to the Lord, and they'll cry out, and look how God says he's going to answer them. I will answer them according to their idols, which to me is a beautiful sign of hope, because what he's saying to them is that... I'm not going to whitewash what you're doing. And if you come to me with this, I'm not just going to sort of slip it under the table. We we are going to deal with this. And I'm not going to let you just sort of go on your merry way. This is him stopping them from going on their merry way and saying, let's deal with this before we go any further. Mm-hmm. We're going to deal. I'll answer them according to their idol. In other words, let's deal with this before we keep going. He's not going to let them sort of say, well, whatever happens to you, that's your own fault. He's going to stop them from their sin. Mm-hmm. And answer them according to what they're doing. And it's like a parent saying, well, wait a minute. You did this bad thing last You snuck out last night. So you want to borrow the car today. And before I let you borrow the car today, we have to deal with what you did last night. And you can't borrow the car today because we have to deal with this. And it's the same thing with God. He doesn't let his people indefinitely get away with what they're doing and mistreat him in the process. Mm-hmm besmirching his honor and holiness and glory, but also out of love for them, he doesn't let them do it. And I love, I love that. Mm -hmm. That's right. That hope right there. Mm -hmm. Turning the page, I know we're running out of time or near the end of our time. Does that mean we don't have to talk about chapter 15? (laughs) I'm just kidding. This is a tough one for me. It's a tough one. The imagery. And 16, yeah. Yeah, 16 actually is Mm -hmm. the one I'm thinking of. This is a a tough one. Mm -hmm. It's it's very graphic. Mm -hmm. It's difficult. There is, in chapter 15, is the, a short chapter, yeah, and it's called The Parable of the Useless Vine. Which is so cool that I like that it's also a 15, because it parallels John 15. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love this chapter. Yeah. yeah. I'm doing so much talking, I'm going to be quiet and let no, you No, please. What, tell but. us why you love this chapter, or let's maybe even like read the first five verses of it, because I do okay. also love this chapter. Ezekiel 15, starting in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, how does the wood of the vine, that branch among the trees of the forest, compare to any other wood? Can wood be taken from it to make something useful? Or can anyone make a peg from it to hang things on? In fact, it's put into the fire as fuel. The fire devours both of its ends and the middle is charred. So how can it be useful for anything? Even when it was whole, it could not be made into a useful object. How much less can it ever be made into anything useful when the fire has devoured it and it is charred? So it's painting this picture of a vine 
So you think about what, what good is really this, this vine is especially like a fragment of the vine that can't grow anything. Mm-hmm. So it's used for fuel for the fire. Mm-hmm. And then if it's thrown into the fire, you know, then it's charred in the middle, even less, it's even less useful. Mm-hmm. So if you think about fire is an important part of this. So we go right to the vine imagery about mm-hmm. how, you know, vines, we see all through scripture, the theology of the vine, you know, where, where the Lord's people are. And we'll, we'll talk about John 15 in a second and how this connects to that. But let's look at the fire for a minute. There's two purposes for fire we see in the Old Testament. One is for, it's a sign of judgment and destruction. And the other is a sign of purifying. So, you know, God's people are purified by fire, by the exile, by what's going to, by God's judgment coming is purifying. Others are going to be destroyed and some are going to be purified. So fire is depicting both things here. But then you see this vine and how maybe we should just jump to John 15, because that's yeah, really where, where Ezekiel 15 wants us to go. Yes. <laughs> yes. Take us there. Okay. Jesus, the words of Jesus. That's I... Right am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if we're useless branches and to like Ezekiel's branches, unless that is our fate, unless we are linked to Jesus. Yeah. The it's vine. that the vine. We're dead mm-hmm. in our sins. Yeah. Except Jesus, like we being grafted to the true vine. I love that connection. Isn't that beautiful? And it's like, oh, so otherwise yeah. we are worthy of being thrown into the fire and burned. That's right. But in yes. Jesus, in Jesus, it's, it, we're pruned. It's, it's God's refining. We're pruned. And that's how instead of fire here, it's, it's the pruning, but it's the same idea. We are God's people. So I love how he's given this image in Ezekiel 15 of this. It, it's, it's meant to point us to John 15. It's so amazing. And the contrast isn't the world's contrast. It's not like, instead of being thrown into the fire and burned, you're left alone. Like, no, no. Instead of being thrown into the fire and burned, you're grafted to the vine and you're flourishing and you're producing fruit. Like, there's life, life, life in you. You're no longer useless. You're purposeful and fruitful. Yes. Yes. It's it's not the opposite. It's even better than the opposite. It's like really living. Yeah. So all yeah. these promises are hidden in these judgments, and it, it, that's these amazing. Talk about love that. started by talking about connecting the storyline of the Bible here, yes. and how yeah. the depths of this are just incredible. Yes. Mm. In chapter sixteen, I will um, admit is is not my favorite. Yeah, um, it's a tough chapter Ezekiel. for it sure. Tough. The yeah. language is graphic. Mm-hmm. Here's what I want you all to know: as you eventually this week get to this chapter, first, I just wanted to to tell, give you a heads up. <laughs> yeah, that there is it's there's some difficult language, but here's the thing: this chapter, just like we've been talking about all of Ezekiel, it is not without purpose. That's and right. And this imagery of you know, it's this parable of Israel as God's adulterous wife. Mm-hmm. And it even goes so far as to like describe in really graphic detail the state in which 
he finds he finds us. And the thing is, is this imagery mm-hmm. is intentional because it meant something. We've got to remember that this was written to an audience. Yeah. That we were not the first audience, mm-hmm. right, for this. That um and so when we, we think about you know what our friend Jen Wilkins says that that scripture is written first for them and for then mm-hmm. and it's also for us and for now. Mm-hmm. And so for them then the image of a a discarded young baby girl was not a foreign image, image unfortunately, exactly. and sadly, like that was something that would have immediately meant something to them. Yeah. And for for God to use that to say, I I see you in that state, and I say, live, yeah. live. Well, you know, I, I think it starts with the fact that uh, God, the rescue of the baby. And yeah, you think, right. as you point out, back in the, in that day, mm-hmm. uh, this was as a commonplace experience. Children were discarded; they were left out, exposed, left out in fields. Usually, girls uh, mm-hmm. or, or children with disabilities. You know, it was kind of like today when you see homeless people in the city; and they need money, and or they have their their cop out, and you, you get so used to the sight that you you don't have a lot of compassion anymore. You just see, you can't put money in every can; you can't do that. That's how common this was back then, and seeing babies out there. And, and so, yeah, it was a sad thing, but, but it, to us, it's a no-brainer to rescue a baby. If we saw a baby on the street, we'd pick it up and immediately. What they understood this as, God did something that other people would not have done. And so I think we're meant to see that God, that God did what, what no one else would do, and that makes it even more incredible, that what humans wouldn't do for each That's other, right. yes, God yes, yes. did. And then lavished on them love and things and everything, which is meant to show us the stark contrast of how horrible they treated him. I mean, that's this chapter is so hard as it is to see and yeah. as vile as some of the descriptions are. It is a picture of all of our sin. That's good. Yeah. 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 Man, thank you for that, Lydia. We have to look at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And here at the end, just a few a few verses from the end of this chapter. For this is what the Lord God says, I will deal with you according to what you have done, since you have despised the oath by breaking the covenant. But I will remember the covenant I made with you mm-hmm. in the days of your youth, and I will establish a permanent covenant with you. Mm-hmm. And you'll remember your ways, and you'll be ashamed. I'm kind of skipping ahead and paraphrasing. I will establish my covenant with you, and you will know that I'm the Lord, so that when I make atonement for all you have done, you will remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth again because of your disgrace. But when I make atonement for all you have done, mm-hmm. not if, when I make atonement right. for all you have done. So it ends on um, a note of hope. Yeah, it does. It does. But you notice how, notice how, that grips us because we've just read the horror mm-hmm. and it won't grip us if we don't see the horror. And, and that's, that's right. it. I think it, right. if we're at this season right now, like going through a time, you ever, you ever go through a time where your spiritual life, your walk with God just feels a little dull and a little, you know, I, I think there's nothing like a fresh glimpse of the, of the holiness of God mm-hmm. and corresponding to the depth of our, like how vile our sin is that renews in us awe and gratitude for what Christ has done for us. That's right. So we sing for joy at what Amanda just read for us because mm-hmm. we've just read what led into that and the ugliness. Yeah. They, you have to see them together. That's right. 
That's, That's right. right. And that is our goal for this whole Lent reading, this whole Lent study, reading Ezekiel. Eventually, you know, when Holy Week comes, we're going to read from the Gospels about Holy Week. And our goal is to to get to Resurrection Sunday and understand what we're celebrating. Mm-hmm. And if we don't remember and look back at what God has done, at who, how He has rescued us, then we cannot appropriately rejoice mm-hmm. in the provision that has been made for us in yeah. Jesus. That's right. My goodness, Lydia, you are such a good guest. I loved this conversation. So Thank fun. you. Well, um, friends listening, y'all know that this is just the start of the week, and this is your invitation to be women in the Word of God every day this week. I hope that this podcast episode has uh, maybe just breathed some life into your uh, enthusiasm into your Bible reading this week. You also know, I think, but if not, I'm here to remind you that in your study books um, every Sunday, but also on the website and in the app, we do something on Sundays called Weekly Truth. And that is just every, you know, every Saturday we take a grace day, which gives us a chance to catch up or reflect on the reading from the week. And Sundays is Weekly Truth. And and that's the day that we, as a community during Lent, we're actually memorizing together Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 through 28. So it's it's just three verses, but this week we are reading, we're memorizing, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And Amen. I encourage you, as you read this week, to also, after you're reading and after you spend the time with the Lord, to take a little time every day this week to build on this weekly truth so that you can be committing this to memory. Also, I know that you guys know this because I told you last week, but a reminder, we still have that active code. It's called Lent Podcast and it is good on anything in the Lent collection at shopshereadstruth.com. It's a longer study, so if you don't have a study book yet and you want to join us and read along with us in a hard copy, which is especially nice for the Book of Lent, or digital if, you, um, if you're if you an iPad girl, as Amanda said last week. I mean, I love um, a good iPad. Yeah, Come listen, on. those are great <laughs> options and those are available to you. Y'all, we are looking forward to the week ahead. And next week, we have a um, we have Brian Loritz joining us for week three of Lent and Ezekiel. And um, man, Lydia, I just can't thank you enough for your time with us this week. Well, I, I'm actually thankful to you both because you got me into reading Ezekiel. And <laughs> it, has, it has been such a, an amazing week of going along in this week, too, with all of you. And the spiritual prophet, uh, re- understanding sin better and appreciating Jesus' sacrifice. So I'm grateful to you, too. Oh, I love hearing that. Thank you so much. And I would love for you to sign us off. What do we tell our friends? Keep opening your Bibles. <laughs>